What's up, everyone, and welcome back to Star Wars Explained. Today, we are not talking about Andor for once. We're, we're going to go back to the High Republic, and to do that, to talk about the High Republic Phase 2, we have regular guest, friend of the channel, Daniel Jose Older, with us. Welcome back. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure to be your friend. <laughs> well, I think the last time we talked, it was uh, when Midnight Horizon was coming out, so... Since yeah. then, phase one has wrapped up, and I, I just want to ask, it's cliche, but you know, how how has it felt to see the reception, the love for the High Republic from all the fans now that you have the first full phase out into the world? No, it's, it's actually a really great, great question now because there's the feeling of initially when phase one ended, that was its own kind of mind-blowing experience. And there was such a swell of excitement and everything else. But in this moment, what's really amazing to me as a, as, as a part of the creative team is seeing that, like, on the one hand, people are really excited about Phase 2. The work is phenomenal. It's already coming out, as you know. And, like, it's great work and people are into it. And, and at the same time, like, people are still really excited about the Phase 1 characters. And that is so cool like that you can just do like a quick twitter search on any given character from phase one and people are still talking about them as that's incredible to me it's that's there's been so many aspects of this that have been it totally exceeded what i hoped and imagined and that's one that i, I didn't even have it in my head like man i hope like months later people are still talking about these characters even though work isn't coming out and they are and that's so cool like it's so cool it's really interesting yeah it's it's a little bit of an adjustment with the time jump backwards into phase two and everyone was like okay we're on board for this but yeah like you introduced all these great characters and we miss them already how is it on the the writing side do all do all of you miss writing for yes. those characters it's the same <laughs> who, do you, exactly who do you miss the, the most <laughs> oh i mean definitely uh lou Lindsay, like mm -hmm. They're just such a powerful combo. And like, you know, just, we we left them at a moment when it felt like things were just getting started and that's heartbreaking in its own right. And we don't know what's gonna happen and that's heartbreaking. And it uh, uh, with every uh, kind of group, you, you, you kind of hit a stride and with different characters you hit at different times. And they, those two have been through so many twists and turns in their relationship already. Um, it almost felt like I was just getting started too. And then it was like, oh, well, who knows like what's gonna happen we'll see but um so i i miss all those kids though i miss like their interplay like ram is so much fun to write I, and i guess like the the saving grace of it all is that i get to write sav but younger yeah oh yeah we're gonna talk about that uh mm -hmm. I, I wanted to bring up the celebration meetup because that was just a really fun awesome i remember I think something had just dropped a trailer and Molly and I were heading back to our hotel room to talk about that. And we saw uh, Ben, the skier cosplayer, walk out. And we were like, yes. nope, turn it around. The meetup's happening. <laughs> we're going to that. Yes. <laughs> and it was so great to see just all of those fans already cosplaying and celebrating uh, right. everyone that you've created. That was, that you, was also... I, I told Mike, I was like, this... That moment was life-changing in its own right. Like everything about the High Republic has been a game changer, I think for each of us as writers and then collectively and then in the fandom in its own right. But that moment was really special just, just as a whole, the entirety of it. And we knew it was coming, that wasn't the surprise, but it, the surprise of it was just the intensity, the passion, the excitement, like everything that happened. Ben's outfit was so incredible. Um, you know, the winning, <laughs> the court outfit with, with Geode, 
completely mm -hmm. blew my mind. Like that was just such a moment to like take that in and the work that she did on it. I, you know, that, that one in particular, like that panel that she was referencing was one that I had in my head from the very first time I read Geo. Because <laughs> like Court was a character already, you know, and 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 then I read um, Into the Dark and I was like, there's The Rock and <laughs> The Rock doesn't talk or move, but everybody talks to The Rock and they get it and like, it's so perfect. And I just knew like Court and Geo had had to interact. And when they interacted, Court, who's barely said three lines consecutively in the whole run up to that point, is just going to like, like deluge his life story <laughs> to Geo, and none of us are going to know what it means. And then they're going to hug and it's going to be beautiful. So that had been in my head for so long. And then it became a comic panel and then it became an actual person doing it. There's just no words to describe that joy. That's just the best thing about celebration is everyone there to celebrate those things and getting to see all of you watching someone else walk up to the meetup and like point and excitedly be like, it's a skier, it's a Gino, it's, it's, it's court. That that was just a highlight of my celebration is just watching all of you get to experience that. That was so oh, that's, fun. That's awesome. <laughs> well, we are in phase two now. We I think the all of wave one, at least the books have come out. We're, we're into both of the ongoing series. We have Kevin Scott's The High Republic and your The High Republic Adventures, which as you said, is all about Sav so far. I've, I've only read the first issue, which comes out today uh, on, on the day that this video is coming out. So check it out right now on digital or in comic book stores everywhere. Yes. Um, I, I'm curious about the development of phase two and when did you all decide, you know, we're going to jump backwards in time or was it a debate of like, were you, were you considering telling it all chronologic chronologically and then decided to do the time jump or how did that come about? Yeah, it's a great question. And I'm really trying to remember exactly how it played out. It was, I don't think there was ever a moment when we were gonna like, just go like front to back. Um, I, I feel like it was very early on, probably in that second ranch visit, um, when we really like, you know, when we were just kind of clarifying the whole thing, like that, that was one where we showed up knowing like the scope of what we were writing and the fact that it was the higher public and we started to really like break out characters and major beats. And it had to have been then when the idea came up. I truly don't remember whose idea it was, but I know that pretty quickly we were all on board. Like, I don't recall any kind of like debate about it because it just seemed there was a beauty in, in its kind of reflection of the trilogies, you know, the different trilogies. Obviously, I think that appealed to everybody. And I know for myself, like I've said before, like I love it because even with that precedent set, it still feels like a really courageous move and a really complex move. Like for us to do that, you know, with characters that are untested, at the time that we decided that we certainly hadn't published anything yet, I know that. And so, you know, we were asking a lot of the readership and we were asking a lot of ourselves. And it was almost like throwing down the gauntlet, like knowing that we were going to do this. It's like, well, we have to step up in phase one now because we're going to then ask people to not only like put these characters down, but love a whole bunch of new characters. And then we're going to pick up the older, <laughs> like it's so <laughs> messy, but uh, it's totally paid off. Like I think, you know, and, and I love seeing that reaction from fans being like, what? Y'all going 150 <laughs> years back? And then kind of be like, okay, yeah, this is going to be great. <laughs> and, it, and it is. <laughs> Like, I would have had the same, as a reader, I would have been like, 
you sure y'all want to do that? And then I would have read it and been like, oh, yeah, I see what y'all talk about. This is going to be amazing. <laughs> that is basically my exact reaction. I think you, you, you all announced it in January, I want to say. It was after The Fallen Star came out, before mm -hmm. Midnight Horizon. And I was like, you, we just got to know all these people. Now we're going to have to do exactly what you said. And it was Midnight Horizon, like one of the last lines of Yoda saying, uh, to un unwrap the mysteries of the future, we have to look into our past. And I got chills and I was like, okay, cool. I'm on, I'm on board. <laughs> Excellent. And, and that was kind of the process of, um, especially for myself, I will say, the last half of, of phase one, there were so many opportunities knowing we were gonna jump back to kind of seed in these things. I don't, I didn't come up with Sav knowing that, but pretty quickly I was like, oh, if she's old, she'll be young once <laughs> and i wonder if this could all and then the pieces started falling together and i was like oh <laughs> but that was a, that was such a cool challenge almost and like opportunity to be like oh just casually reference things that happened 150 years ago and then to get to explore them that's super cool like most storytellers don't get to do that and i think we all kind of acknowledge that tacitly going into it and got really excited to be like at the opportunity that, that presents this whole process feels like it'll be very rewarding rewarding to go back and read all of the High Republic when it's done to see all those little, and not even that, but uh, things like Dooku Jedi Lost or yep. Master and Apprentice where yep. you guys knew what was happening. And so you you already started, to, uh, Charles sold it a lot in the Vader comic as well. Just so, pointing out like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. There's a playfulness to it. And then that's also, that's like fun, but then there is like just that deep lore because the truth is like, you know, history walks with us, you know, in life and in the world, in this world. So of course it would in the galaxy far, far away. Of course there would be remnants and, and callbacks and quotes and things that lived on, you know, years later and centuries later. And that's what's so cool about it is being able to dig on both ends and be like, you know, in the, in the, in the contemporary original trilogy period, you know, like, plant those seeds and then get to explore what that means. And then to do it even within the High Republic is a whole other exciting piece. What's the process been like to invite new authors into the fold with Tessa Gratton, George Mann, Lydia Kang, Zoraida Cordova, uh, all these n new people coming in to, to join the, the High Republic fold? Oh man, it's been great. It's, it's, it feels really natural to the process because it's such a team process, you know? So like those folks coming in, bringing their voices, like one thing I love about it, and I've always said this about publishing in Star Wars and really Star Wars across the board is that there is a Star Wars, like there's a range, I would say, of what Star Wars vibes are. And it's important to be aware of that range, but there isn't one Star Wars voice. And you can see that in The Mandalorian really clearly, just the different directors coming in and putting their print on it. But it still feels like a unified whole. You know, Andor is a great example. It's so different. Right. But it's still really, it feels very Star Wars. And that that really comes across in publishing. I think Mike Siglain has done such an incredible job of like allowing us, that's probably the wrong word, encouraging us, inspiring us to have our own voices um, while, you know, keeping up, while we all are really um, committed to staying within them feeling of Star Wars, whatever that means, you know, the range of vibes. And so it's just like, it just makes the world of the High Republic feel more real almost and like more filled out to have like now new voices come in and, and they're doing such incredible work. Like I love every single one of the, of the books and the, and the work that's come out. So it's just exciting. It's like, well, we helped create the sandbox and now we're helping like make the sandbox bigger. And now they're coming in and we're, we're all kind of making room. It's great. I think that's a great point about 
your voice because picking up the high republic adventures number one i was immediately like yep that is a daniel story that feels like a daniel joke uh, wait, i love what droid. was the moment that, that hit for that i'm so curious uh, the, the fairy droid when sad <laughs> was <laughs> going she she tossed him two coins and he's like ah one for the ride and one for my discretion he like yells loudly uh, <laughs> not discretion if you yell about it ah off we go yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that that just felt like your your sense of humor, which even Correct. between the types of stories that you get to tell, whether it's uh, Last Shot or Midnight Horizon or the Young Reader comic, the All Ages comic, mm -hmm. uh, you still have that very consistent sense of humor, despite like different maturity levels of writing. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's absolutely true. Well, what what uh, was it? Going, oh, good. No, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I, I had another question. Say, I, I was going to move on. Being like, this is, I'm going to be funny this time. <laughs> I just try to let those moments arise. And thankfully they do, you know, and like, rarely am I like, wait, shouldn't there be something funny here? And, you know, I think that like the best for me, the best humor is like the stuff that just happens naturally in life. Those are the things that crack us up the hardest, you know, and, and there's a, it's hard. You have to trust the story, but it also helps being like, I'm not writing a comedy story, right? Like people aren't, picking up my work being like, this is going to be a, a, a whip snapping, whatever that means, a comedy. You know, they're just like, well, this is, I hope this is a fun Star Wars adventure. And then it happens to be funny. It's like bonus points. So, you know, I don't put the pressure on myself, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You had a lot of natural humor in this first issue that felt very real. Sav is a, a, an alien, but still had that very human moment of like, Maz Kanata's waving at me. It's like, oh, no, she's waving at the person behind me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I think uh, the the like in in world fandom of Star Wars is so touching to me, you know, because like there's a reflection of the outer of the this world fandom in Star Wars, and I think that the reality is like we all there, we all have that character that we would just love to meet in person and be like, oh man, can I just talk to you like over coffee and like learn what your life was like, and like Maz is definitely that person for me, as is Sav, and having them like feel that for each other kind of just like was a was a really important beat um that i wanted to get in there because there's also the element of like that within writers you know like there's writers that i'm just like oh my god you know my name you know like you follow me on twitter and i'm like holy crap and that's so cool and i just love seeing that you know in world as well uh you bring up the the favorite characters in star wars and you you introduce this very colorful new pirate crew that has a good mix of brand new characters, but also we have Dexter Jetster in there, Thurm yeah. Scissor Punch. I'm curious, how do you know when is the right time to bring in a legacy character uh, or when do you know to make someone brand new? I found a sketch that I drew um, like two years ago, I think, way back when I had the inkling that I might get, be able to write Moss and her crew in this era, but I didn't know when yet or anything. And so I just drew a bunch of like characters and my mind really went to solo era basically because of that, you know, that famous Sabak scene that's so great. And just, I, I love that moment. And I love how many aliens are in that movie and just how many different kinds of creatures and everything like that. We barely get to meet them. And um, as, as I'm sure you remember about me, like Jabba's palace, is kind of my touchstone, like Star Wars moment. So anytime we get any, even a reflection, that's why Maz's castle is so, such a great place for me too and so Therm is in that picture like I just <laughs> so it's like oh man if we could get Therm that'd be amazing but you kind of also are like you never assume that you're actually going to get anybody that you put in there so so I think that's where I was also like man but we, we went through 
some of the major characters that we figured would be alive at that period, and Dex was one of them. And then Dex, having been a prospector, um, was something that I peeped doing a rewatch. And I was like, oh man, this dude, like we need him in here. And so I, I remember going to Mike and being like, so Dex is a prospector and he was definitely alive. And I just, can I have, it? you know, <laughs> Mike was like, I don't see why not. Let me, let me check on stuff. And then, you know, he came back. So I will say that I think I ended up with too big a crew, <laughs> but, I, but I have no regrets. Like, that's fine. Like <laughs> it's going to work out because it's, I'll be writing a script and I'll be like, wait, and this guy, okay. I think that's, oh no, this guy's there too. Oh man, it's a lot of people as you've seen from reading the comic. Um, but you know what? Like the more the merrier, we go work it out. It's fun. I loved the inclusion of Dexter and the the whole idea that he is a hyperspace prospector is perfect. I'm like looking at him in a new light now because when he says prospecting out on Subterrell, I, I was imagining like gold mining or something, right. uh, which can still be true. But the idea that, yeah, this, the prospecting is such a big part of Star Wars and the Outer Rim at this point, I was like, oh, that is a, a fun inclusion. And I really love him as the storyteller. It makes so much sense. And does, Sav, right? yeah, Sav wanting to be someone that is worthy of a Dexter Jetster style story is really, really cool. It's a good jumping off point. Uh, thank you. Uh, that that felt really important because like she's so unlike any other Jedi we've met in so many ways, right? Like she's very reckless. She's very chaotic. And in other ways, she embodies the Jedi code so, so deeply because it's almost effortless. Whereas like so many of the Jedi we meet like struggle with this attachment question and certainly in my own storytelling, that's an ongoing theme is like the question of loving and letting go, right? And Sav, it's like, yeah, what? You know, she's she's like the Gemini of, <laughs> of the Jedi order. She's just like, oh yeah, why would, I, why would I hold on in the first place? What are you talking about? And I say that with love <laughs> to the Gemini. But, um, you know, it's just very natural to her to, and we've seen that in the phase one storyteller, right? She blows up a Jedi temple and doesn't think twice about it because it's tactically the right move. And, you know, but that doesn't mean she's cold hearted. She's a very, you know, loving person in her own right. So that was fun to explore, but then taking her as a, as a kid, as a youngster, as a 15 year old, the question of like, you know, who does she look up to, right? Like she, she, cause she's not looking up to her master. She's sick to death of the Jedi order as we learn from the first beat. And that was so important to me too, because Lula is the exact opposite of her, right? Like Lula is the ultimate Padawan. She wants to be the best Jedi in the world. Like if anything, she has to contend with her own ambition as a Jedi, which is very un-Jedi-like quality, right? But with Sam, she's just like, I'm tired of y'all. I'm tired of meditation. I just want to be out in the world pirating. So let me become a legend in my own right. <laughs> I, I was going to ask, and you may have just answered it. Uh, what was it about Sav from phase one that drew you to her? in phase two, but maybe it was just that it was the complete opposite of Lula. It was, it was that, it was that on a core level, she's just really fun to write. And and I just wanted to challenge myself to explore what someone who's like that when she's old would have been like as a teenager, you know, like, because <laughs> there's just a boundless possibilities. And I am like really drawn to pirate stories in general. So the idea of just throwing Sav in with this group of pirates, especially Maz's, it was just like, as soon as all those pieces kind of came together, it was like, oh man, we're gonna have so much fun. And then especially her being undercover and like what that looks like and mm -hmm. making it that kind of a spy story and but also just really adventurous. Like there's just so many possibilities. I love the the YA angle of it. I mean, it's it's very Luke Skywalker in a sense that no matter where you are, where no matter where you are raised, even the Jedi 
have this idea that there's there's more out there and I want to experience it. So totally. I, I, yeah, I, I think that really that comes through it's with so, that. That's so true. Like, and, and then like her sneaking out of bed is super YA, right? Like it's, it's mm-hmm. 100%, which I mean, I remember doing when I was a YA myself, like, you know, you sneak <laughs> out and like you, 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 that, that experience of like this breath of freedom and fresh air after feeling cooped up or whatever. And, and the idea that like suddenly the world is limitless, whereas right minutes earlier it had felt like your entire world was encased in these walls. And like, you know, I didn't have any good reason to like sneak off. Like my family's awesome and I grew up in a great, you know, situation, but it was still this amazing sense of freedom, you know? So for someone, I really wanted to just open up this world and this particular arc and this narrative with that sense of freedom, because that's what the whole story is. It's like just excitement and adventure and freedom and danger and all the like good and bad things that that entails. And it's cool to see her looking up to Maz Kanata, who is a Force user, but not a Jedi. So right. it, it does feel like the the, the cool, wacky aunt or something <laughs> that, that she can go yeah. hang out with. I have one of those. Uh, one of those <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think we all do. <laughs> right, right, right. And then, and then that crew, that moment, like, I don't know if you had this experience, but when I was younger, when I was in my teens, like when I was Sav's age, age, actually, I fell in with a group of puppeteers. And they were all like, they were a mess. They were chain smokers, you know, they were like rock and roll kids from like, you know, like aged out of it. And this is like the mid nineties. So they were, you know, punks in the eighties. And um, we all really wanted to be on the Muppet show or on Sesame street. And so we like just got this crew together and put on a public access puppet show that was like really good. Like these guys were talented. And so it was like a band type situation you know, like, <laughs> with all of the weird characters. And, like, it was so weird. And I just fell on them. I was way too young and it was great. And they, they were really cool. They didn't do anything bad at all, except smoke a lot. And like, we went to New York and auditioned for Sesame Street. I met Elmo and <laughs> we completely all failed out of the auditions like immediately. But some of them went on to become like legit puppeteers and like do the good work. But this is way back when you know, it was my first trip to New York, like as a tween. And so, you know, it's like that, that experience of having people that you look up to who are also like really very human and chaotic and weird and <laughs> problematic and everything else. And like, you know, just that, that excitement though, both the excitement of sneaking out, but also then the excitement of being like, wow, these adults who are like cool and like what's going to happen and what trouble can we get into and all that. Yeah. Well, what's it like writing Maz Kanata when she is 400 years younger than we originally <laughs> met her? Do you see her as different or is she so old that she is basically still the same? I do. It's challenging in a way because she's in this sort of mentor role, right? So she's similar similar to Yoda, you know, in phase one that I was working with. So you don't get... Um, it's it's sort of harder to find ways to get deeper into her personality because she's sort of busy playing this particular role. Um, but we do um, down the road, you'll see. But um, it's, so that was kind of the challenge at first is that we're seeing everything through Sav's eyes. And so, and Sav doesn't know Maz that well, she just adores her. So it's like writing through the veneer of someone looking up to someone else and trying to get into their core, that's challenging. Um, but I think the way we do it is we find the relationship so like her closeness with dex right like in their history even even if it's just implied like and then her the way that she manages her crew like all these are different sides to her that we didn't really get to see um in her film appearances and also like an opportunity to kind of build up like yeah that question of who was she then you know how was she different like how was she 
perhaps like more kind of cut loose in a similar way that Yoda is a little more like freewheeling back in the day, back in the High Republic era. Um, all those are kind of questions that I just brought to the table and then let the story itself play out to see how they would be answered. Yeah. Oh, I'm so into seeing her as the pirate queen because that's not yeah. something we got to see in the sequel trilogy. So exactly. The great, one thing I will say that I, I was like very clear about was I was like, she needs a new outfit. <laughs> <laughs> and and you've read it. Like she gets one and it's it's gorgeous. It's awesome. Like she because she first of all, she just I just don't believe people wear the same clothes for hundreds of years. <laughs> and I, and she's very recognizable just for her face. Like she, you don't need that to like, like brand her, you know. And then she's a pirate queen. This is that era. So I wanted her outfit to look a little more pirate queen, a little more swagged out and a little less just like, you know, hanging around the castle. <laughs> yeah. Well, you mentioned uh, the the Dank Grax. You didn't mention them. You showed them this new faction. And Maz Kanata calls them kind of dropouts from various other force factions. And I'm, I'm seeing that as kind of a recurring thing in phase two a lot of exploration into the force outside of the Jedi. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Scott brought back the sorcerers of Tuned. There's the mm -hmm. whole convocation on Jedha. Is mm -hmm. that a purposeful thing that we're doing? Of course, we have the path of the open hand as well. I is that something that all of you are trying to do, open up the world a little bit more and dive into what the force looks like outside of the Jedi? Yeah, absolutely. That was a conversation going into the phase was, first of all, having Jeddah there automatically brings that to the forefront, right? Because of Jeddah as this kind of positioning of like as a holy city, right? For for, for force users and, and everybody else, it's, it's just built into the mythos of that place that there's going to be different sects there and different people with different understandings of the force. Um, I think to me, it's also a natural outspring of the conversations that we were having purely on the Jedi level in phase one, because we were primarily dealing with Jedi in terms of Force users, um, that's who we were thinking about the Force through. And there were so many interesting conversations that came out of that. And I know a lot of readers, just that was their favorite part of the higher public was that we got to talk about the Force in all these different ways because we're meeting a whole slew of different Jedi because it's peacetime and or was, and they're not primarily focused on being warriors. So there's different uses of the Force. Like, I think that's something that just Star Wars fans in general have wanted to explore and think about and get material around for ages. And so we took that opportunity. And then this to me is a logical expansion of that because now we have these non-Jedi Force users around and, and Force users, Force adherents, like people just very invested in the Force at different levels, even if it's like the path where they're like, don't use it. There's mm -hmm. all conversations around the Force. And then, Finally, I think it matters almost as like a, a like a periphery conversation to what's going on in phase one, because there's this creature out there that like, you know, eats force users using the like using their own all whatever it does, you know. And so that that to me like makes the question of what the force is and how it works really important in, in this whole narrative that we're telling. Um, not in the sense of like, oh, we're gonna like find a clue or an Easter egg necessarily, but more in just like the force matters in this galaxy and it matters it's a life and death question on so many levels even more so knowing what we know about the nameless so what are we gonna you know how are we gonna talk about it how are we gonna think about it and it's so enticing to think about all these different roots out there that i'll say that was another thing that i didn't think would fly i remember bringing that to them and being like okay so i want my bad guys to all be these like reject force users from different cults that just like are just kind of a-holes and, and I, think, I, I wrote it out and i was like well, it was a nice idea, but, you know, 
And then they were like, yeah, that's cool. I like that. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, um, there's a lot of fun to be had with that up ahead. That's all I could say. <laughs> that, that's great. I think that's a lot of fun. It, kind of a Knights of Ren almost idea right, where they right, right, like, right. they can they can use the force but they're not great and yeah they're all a-holes <laughs> but, <laughs> but i think that's important like i think we're always trying to tell stories about people that are not always trying to tell but like it's important to see people that aren't as good at the force because we need to see how hard the jedi work to be as good as they yeah. are like it's not it's it's hard work you know like and we see that across the board we see it with ray we see it with luke we see the training and i love that like and 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 they're still really powerful at it in their own right, and they still have to train to like own it. Like that's a beautiful conversation to be having with the force that we get to see in the movies. But what we don't see is people that what happens when you don't work that hard. Which <laughs> is hilarious. So like, you know, the challenge then becomes like, how are these bad guys gonna be menacing in their own right if they're just okay at the force? Like they still have to be a problem, right? <laughs> so they have their own um forms of ruthlessness that come into play as we shall see. I, I think that's something that the the past like 10 or so years of Star Wars storytelling has done a great job of is is saying that the force is an everyday thing. Like you wake up and you have to make the decision to be with the light side and yes. to be good. It's not like, well, you overcame fear yesterday and you'll never right. be afraid again. Uh, so I, exactly. I love that idea that there's not everyone can do that. Right. So as we move into uh, the High Republic Adventures, this this reboot of the series. What are you excited for fans to see in the coming months? Man, um, <clears throat> there's so many answers to that question. I'm really in love with the <laughs> series. Like, um, I, it was one where I had a very loose idea of where we go and how it would play out. And still, uh, and then I kind of sharpened that as I got closer to writing it. And every issue really surprises me in writing it. I'm like, oh, and I've, I've seeded a lot of different possibilities for myself. And as I'm harvesting them, I'm realizing like just how many different stories are happening at the same time. And there's an interconnectivity. Phase two is across the board much less interconnected than phase one um, mm. by design. And I love that about it because it is it makes it different and it makes it stand out. Um, so there isn't like the same thing like, you know, where Cav and I were doing with scenes crossing over. But at the same time, that makes those moments where there is crossover kind of jump even more. And so those are upcoming in certain ways in like very ways, subtle ways that I didn't expect, which is really fun. But ultimately like, this is just a story with a lot of twists and turns, like surprises that I was even surprised by. Um, I think it's hilarious. And I think it's also has like a very deep heart to it. Um, and in a very different way from phase one. So all of that, but I'm really just happy people are meeting the crew and meeting the other crew because they're both so <laughs> messy and there's so much fun to just play off each other. That, that's something interesting you bring up about it, it has felt less interconnected and that's completely fine. But I was noticing that even in the titles and the cover art, everything feels very much like a part one, part two, uh, right. path of deceit, path of vengeance, convergence, yeah. cataclysm, and then right. both of the quest for the hidden city or planet x uh everything yeah. feels like a setup payoff which i think is neat so there's, yeah there's, so, like, there's through lines but mm -hmm. there's less like crossover right but then i also like one of the hardest parts about the interconnectivity in phase one was our differing deadlines so <laughs> like you know someone's writing the bigger book in terms of size right um and the the smaller book was due first uh then they were forced to kind of like tailor things around what happened in the smaller book and that's really complicated. Um, 
Whereas right now, like I'm, it, most people have already written most of their stuff. So I'm just kind of able to weave what I need to do through stuff that's already set in stone. And that's actually a much easier task because it's also like, it's, it's easy to be like, oh, can you just throw in a mention of this here and like try this there and blah, blah, blah. Um, so, you know, sometimes things work out that way. It's, it's also just very like, we'll see. That's cool. Well, I know you can't say much about the rest of phase two as well, but what what are you excited from the other books and comics for fans to experience? Uh, everything is so good. Um, just I, It's just high quality work. And like the stuff we were talking about with voice is so great. Like just, you know, the writer's book just came out and like seeing that and the different voice that that brings to it. And the, not just, not just voice. And I think when we say voice, we think a lot about like the words on the page and that is voice. But I think like voice is also um, narrative structure. It's also like rhythm, it's storytelling approach. You know, there's a lot to voice that's way beyond the sentences and, and the cadences of the sentences. Uh, all of them are important. And I think that's what's so cool about the High Republic, like having all the different writers come in and, and do their thing and like get into those. So, I mean, there isn't one or another. It's all really great. Um, I will say the Jetta stuff is like a really high point for me as a Rogue One fan and as a, as a city kid. There's not a lot of, like, there's Coruscant. Obviously, there's cities. And, you know, you can see it in Midnight Horizon that I gravitate towards cities. Um, when I'm not writing Star Wars, I'm writing urban fantasy. So that's a place that I just feel really at home. And it's so cool to, like, explore that in a galaxy far, far away. Because, um, yeah, we have in the past. Like, certainly Clone Wars had a lot of city stuff and, and the prequels. Um, but there's so much to explore in a city and in so many different cities. And Jeddah, in particular has just always felt like this very alive and complicated place. So I've been just loving what Cav's doing and what George has coming. And just the whole concept of like having this battle of Jedi is really exciting. Well, I've got one more question that I know yeah. you can't answer, but I haven't spoken to you since uh, everything happened on the Fallen Star. And uh, I'm going to grill you. Is Buckets of Blood okay? <laughs> I will say this. Um, I said, I'll, I'll take that to segue into um, the cover of the free comic book day, Dark Horse uh, High Republic Adventures issue was released and it does have Lula Talisola on the cover, which means, and that is Starlight behind her. The title of the story, which I don't know if it's been revealed before, hopefully I'm allowed to reveal it properly. It's called Starlight Coda um, for a reason. So there will be a lot of questions answered and more questions asked by that issue. Uh, okay, I'll accept that. So some answers in free comic book day, we can look forward to that. Awesome. Some, <laughs> some. <laughs> and more and more questions posed, of course. Yes, uh, of course that's, that's not until <laughs> next year. So it's like infuriatingly far away, but <laughs> I, did, I did my best. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to talk about uh, the High Republic Adventures, Phase 2 as a whole, the High Republic as a whole. I am still just loving this era. You're all killing it. Uh, this is like some of my favorite Star Wars publishing stuff ever. So oh, keep up so the much. good work. I appreciate it. And you oh. too. You know I love this show. So thank you for <laughs> all you do. Well, thank you. Well, where can people follow you, uh, find you online? Uh, and what else do you have coming out that isn't Star Wars that maybe a Star Wars fan would want to check out? Ah, yes. Fantastic question. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I'm on Twitter for however long Twitter exists. I'm at DJ Older. I'm also on Hive, which is a lot of fun. Highly recommended. 
if you feel like fascists aren't the people for you, then Hive is a great place <laughs> to try. Um, I'm also at DJ Older on Hive. I'm on Instagram at Daniel Jose One. Um, newly, I'm on Substack, and I will say I'm really loving that um, format right now. It's like such a great. I'm constantly walking around with essays in my head, and I never sit down and write them because it just seems like a pain. And also because I don't want to deal with like submitting them and everything else. But Substack is just a really great place for me to just put a lot of those thoughts down in a kind of a casual essay format. And I do have one coming up about the kind of behind the scenes making of a Star Wars comic using Star Wars Adventures, High Republic Adventures as an example. Um, so that's a good place to find me. I think if you just Google my name and Substack, it'll pop up. Uh, and then TikTok, you know, I still I still do TikTok. I love it. I don't do it as much because uh, it's just harder with a kid. But um, at Daniel Jose Older on TikTok. Great. Uh, do you have any other non-Star Wars stories you want to plug? Yes, thank you. Um, Ballad and Dagger is um, my most recent YA. It came out in May, and it's a young adult fantasy, urban fantasy, um, about a kid from a Caribbean island that sank who finds out he's the child of a, the disciple of a healing god, even though he just wants to play music. And then his whole community basically goes to war with itself. That um, is a really fun and exciting and sad story, which I'm really excited about. And the, the sequel, it's a, it's a duology. So it's just two books. And the second and final book comes out this coming spring. Great. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Daniel. Thank you all for watching. And check out The High Republic if you haven't. And as always, thank you so much for watching. And may the Force be with you. A light in life.